Okay, we are recording. Okay, so welcome, welcome, welcome to another fantastic episode of My Orgasmic Life. And I have with me a really delightful lady <laughs> and goddess. <laughs> And a, a fellow adventurer when it comes to, you know, sexuality and making the world a sexier place. And we're going to have a really juicy conversation about polyamory and um, BDSM. So I'm going to let her introduce herself to you guys. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> so um, I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a psychologist and a sex and intimacy coach. Um, and I've spent the last 32 years ish working with people who are struggling to maintain the kinds of relationships that they want um and or struggling to have fulfilling exciting sex lives um i have a podcast of my own that Gaia was on which is the a to z of sex um which is on voice america and um i write I see people via Zoom, um, in person in London, and sometimes do intensive work in person in other cities in the United States, particularly uh, get to LA quite often. Um, and personally, we'll talk about what my setup is during this, so I won't introduce it now. We can just talk about it in the conversation, but I'm kink and um, consensual non-monogamy, knowledgeable as a therapist, and also have a specialty in trauma. <laughs> lot of stuff. Lot of stuff. Lot of lot of wonderful stuff. Um, so actually, before we get into this, so that I don't forget, um, I want to mention my sponsor. So uh, this this episode's brought to you by Tickle Dot Life. All right. Now let's get into our juicy conversation. So I want to say that I'm I'm kinky. I'm very much um, into BDSM, both from a professional place and from a personal place. And today I really want to have a juicy conversation about, you know, polyamory, non-monogamy in the world of kink and BDSM. And me personally, I identify as a switch on a personal level, um, majority being dominant with a tiny little piece of submission. <laughs> So that's how that works for me. Um, and I have, you know, I, I have a harem. That's how I identify my ethical non-monogamous lifestyle. And so in my harem, I have different lovers that I explore BDSM with. Um, so, yeah. So that's kind of on a personal level where I sit and where, where that kind of lands for me. And so I'm excited to hear about for you, like personally, where so does all of that Right. So personally, um, I identify as um, a queer leather woman and queer in this case, not standing for gay, but rather fluid. Um, my actual um, sexual orientation is to do with my power exchange. So slave is my sexual orientation. What turns me on is power and power exchange um, and and other things in BDSM um, rather than anything about the gender of the person, the gender is completely irrelevant for me. Um, and I've always been this way. Um, I have really early memories. Um, like uh, when I was nine, I used to watch I Dream of Jeannie and I made myself a bottle to live in until my master came. And for me, that was combined with sexual feelings. So it was like, 
it was that early for me. That was always it. You know, my earliest memories with boyfriends is trying to talk them into holding me down and things like that. So that's me from, from that point of view. Personally, I am in a 24-7 power exchange with my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have been together for um, almost 11 years now, married for five. Um, and um, I'm also in DS relationships. So that's an MS relationship. I'm in DS relationships with other people. Um, we call the way that we do consensual non-monogamy, the timeshare model, <laughs> um, because, well, because he says, you know, people can have their weeks with his approval. Mm-hmm. The owner, let, the owner lets out some of the time, right? So Ken, for, for some of our listeners or that aren't maybe familiar with some of the language, the BDSM language, um, can you go into a little bit more of what DS when you're talking about DS and, and MS so that people can be like, oh, okay, now I know what she's talking about. Okay, so um, MS is master-slave. Um, DS is dominant-submissive. And the, the, really, some people don't dif- differentiate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm making the differentiation in this because I live full-time with somebody that I serve. Mm-hmm. So for us, we, you know, we use the terms master-slave. We sometimes use owner property. And, um, and we're leather folk. Um, and we um, are patched members of the um, Leather Houses of Color Coalition. Um, so it's, it's, for us, this is our, our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, um, DS for dominant submissive, because I do serve other people. I am submissive in those situations. I'm still a slave. Um, but um, because it's not full time, it's, it's negotiated in the shorter term rather than um, in a longer term contract. Beautiful. And when you say leather folk, let's, 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 div- let's lean into that a little bit more too for, for our listeners so they know what that means. So leather, leather lifestyle are people who are um, attracted to live in BDSM, live in power exchange relationships, um, and keep a variety of moral ethical i don't like moral moral always gets weird and people get strange on that ethical is better sort of live by a variety of ethical guidelines um so service is important honesty and integrity are important um and we kind of join together not only to practice our um to 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 be together with other people who are in full-time power exchanges or part-time power exchanges but sometimes also to practice bdsm because Sex is a part of this for people and, um, and provide service to the community as well. So it's more than simply living isolated on your own. It's being connected in families. So we have quite a large extended leather family. Some people are chosen family who are very close to us. Others are as a result of who's mentored whom. So, and, and how you came into this world and, um, um, what kinds of service you provide where and what organizations you belong to and things like that. That's beautiful. Thank you. For I should sharing. say, I mean, I should say that this started out in the gay community. So, um, and I'm going to be clear that neither of us in my relationship, my husband's relationship, he's bisexual. So neither of us, um, identify as heterosexual. So despite the fact that, um, our relationship looks heterosexual by definition, we don't consider it such. 
Um, but this came primarily out of the gay community initially. Um, and, and there's a long history, and I'm not going to go into history lesson because <laughs> you really don't want it. Um, but if people um, drop me a, a DM um, on Facebook, I can give them a long list of resources if they want to learn, you know, where this started and, you know, what, what it looks like in the modern times and all of those sorts of things. I'm happy to provide resources. That's beautiful. That's awesome. So how did that start for you? Like when you were, you know, it's interesting because I know for me, well, actually I'll share a little bit about my, my journey into the world of BDSM. Um, for me, it came later on. I mean, I always knew that I was dominant in personality type and sexually I was always quite aggressive. You know, I was like, I wanted what I wanted and I took what I wanted. Um, and as a woman and identify as a woman, that didn't really go over well a lot of times in a lot of places because I'm supposed to be more passive. So, you know, I remember the very first time that I dro really dropped into, I was actually, you know, my own sexual orientation, I identify as being pansexual, and I always have. Um, so for me, I was at this wonderful female orgy party, and we're at this wonderful party, and I'm like, okay, and, you know, I got these beautiful women, and we're exploring, and, you know, and this woman hands me a whip and, you know, a flogger and she's like, hit me. And I'm like, oh, I can't hit you. And like, this is not like, I'm not okay with this. Like, you know, it's, it's not respectful and, you know, abusive and all of my own preconceived ideas about it. And, and I remember so clearly, she's like, no, I want this hit me. So I like hit her and she's like, harder. <laughs> it's like, like okay so I hit her a little bit harder right and then she's like harder and so then I like hit her really hard and the sound I remember the sound of the the flogger hitting her skin and her escaping of pleasure sounds that came out of her mouth and this overwhelming feeling that moved through my whole entire being of like this extreme arousal response to the power exchange in that moment it scared me it terrified me so much that I flew like I flung the the flogger out of my hand and I was like okay I can't look at this like I couldn't I couldn't I was like this isn't not I was not societally I was like it's not okay on so many levels and so it took me quite a few years of like really working through my own stuff that was attached to all of that to be able to lean in and fully start to lean into that place of dominance and and then during that process before I leaned into the dominance that's where I was with my current husband who we started exploring BDSM and me being submissive and so I was like allowing myself this really safe space to go into surrendering and safety and all these kind of beautiful places and as I learned the understanding of the receiving of that I was like, all of a sudden it made it safer for me to drop into that dominant place because I, now I understood, like I understood of what mm -hmm. was the arousal piece of it. So uh, I, go ahead. I mean, for me, I mean, I've just always been this way. And I mean, my, my initial, um, the, my initial turn ons, there was um, a kind of um, a humiliation piece and, um, and a, and, and, you know, definitely, a, a you know, being controlled and um, some of my earlier experiences, I got into breath play and I liked being held down. 
Um, um, I like being restrained in certain ways. Um, I didn't really like pain or I didn't think I did initially, but actually part of that is that my early experiences with pain were not, um, with the exception of rough sex, which, which I always like, but, um, of actual kind of floggers and, and, and really somebody actually seeking to beat you, um, were not were not well-paced experiences. Um, so um, the people who uh, who were engaging in this with me didn't give me a warm-up, didn't give me time to adjust, and therefore I never got to a happy place. Um, but later on, when I had a more experienced partner, um, I found that actually I'm quite I'm quite a serious masochist. So there there's that as well. Um, but. I think for me, there was this thing about, I knew I was different and I didn't really have a sense where to find people who did things like me. Um, and I was quite precocious. So I was sort of 15, 16 watching Story of O and, 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 and really kind of exploring the available. And one of the, the seminal movies for me was actually the original version of Swept Away with Giancarlo Giannini. Um, which was a Lena Wertmuller film, which was um, the, uh, the modern version I've never liked. But there, was, there are very many layers to the film, but one of the layers is a dominant submission layer, and that was really intense for me. So it was, um, I mean, I just have always been this way. So it was really about accepting that about myself. And I was doing pretty well um, um, with acceptance and, um, and at 19, a f- person introduced me to a guy who um, had more charisma than God. Um, <laughs> who said he's, you know, Satan would have had to tip his hat to him, you know, <laughs> he just had the most amazing charisma and um, got my desires almost instantly. And the first two weeks of that relationship were fantastic. And so I was experiencing things for the first time that I'd always wanted and never been able to ask for. And it was amazing. Um, and then after two weeks, he um, switched. And so I ended up prisoner. And he oh. became really horrifically abusive um, over a period of five days. And um, then he ended up in jail. Um, but you know, it was one of those things where I'd kind of gotten to a place where I was comfortable and was not feeling so much shame. And then I had that experience. um, And as a result, I had post-traumatic stress. And so then I had lots of shame again, Um, particularly because afterwards I still craved the things that he did to me. And I craved some of the things he did during the horrible period. So it was very confusing. And I write a lot about this. I've got a memoir coming out in the fall it's an erotic memoir. So it's got erotica and life story and reflection. And I write a lot about this because a lot of women who have experienced and men who have experienced um, uh, sexual violence who are also into BDSD, BDSM end up with this really horrible morass of stuff to untangle around their desires and around shame and around whether it's healthy to do this anymore or not healthy. So it took me quite a while um, in my own therapy and my own personal development and growth, working through that um, before I was really fine to be 
back doing these things again. And um, yeah, now, I mean, for me, this is life. So I didn't enter, there's a, probably people don't know there's a private and a public scene. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know if people. Yeah, yeah, share that. Right. So, you know, the vast majority of people who are interested in BDSM practice in their own homes and may never meet another person who shares their enjoyments. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And sometimes that's fine. And sometimes that can feel isolating because they're living differently than the people around them. But that's the vast majority of people do it that way. Then there's a whole public scene. So this is where we end up, you know, where we talked about leather is one facet of the public scene. There's, you know, straight kink scene. There's, you know, crossover places. There's places that focus primarily on BDSM. And in America, certainly, there are a lot of events that you can attend where you can learn skills. You can learn uh, relationship skills. You can learn um, and you can also learn how to do things to do indulge in all of your kinks very safely. Whereas um, in Europe, there's not as many events with learning in them. So it's well, just same, a thing. Yeah, same in Canada. We have a lot of events that have that learning capacity of how to go right. about it in a safe environment, right? And doing it safely for yourself and others. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have a lot of that. So, but that's a public scene. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, there are a lot of people who enjoy playing in public. So they like going to a club or a party and in, indulging in a scene in front of others who are also, you know, there are also other people there indulging in scenes. So, um, and I did not do much of that. Um, I did a little of that um, in, the, in the 80s. God, right. Um, this reminds <laughs> me how old I am, right? Yeah, I was out in the 80s um, um, in, in the California scene a bit, but not a lot in public. Um, I had concerns about with what I did for a living and all sorts of stuff about what, whether I wanted to be in public. Um, I was working in, in, a, in a federal prison for a couple of years as a psychologist. Didn't really think that it would be a great idea to be you know, doing stuff yeah. in public during that time. Um, and um, then I came to the UK um, again, I was hesitant to be involved. And so I wasn't actually involved in the public scene in the UK until the early 2000s. And then only for a few years sporadically because of the work I was doing at the time, I again, did not really think I was comfortable. So I started um, doing more on the public scene in the U S at that time Mm -hmm. um, and have been visible in public depending on where you are um, probably since about 2000 and, um, six, seven. Um, and, and so people are used to seeing me in public. Um, and I still do a lot of public stuff out in the U S and I do some in the UK, um, now, but I have my cohorts mostly in the U S but I no longer care. So I'm quite happy to go out and be in public. And, and that, but that, that was, you know, that was a process. That was a process to get to a place where I was like, you know what? I'm 100% comfortable with myself. I disclose stuff on, on the internet. I write. I do podcasts um, on my website. People know about me, and I'm just going to be me and not worry about it anymore. Um, and I like to help other people do that. That's part of a large part of what I do with coaching and, and therapy with people is to help them um, really integrate and become authentic and feel comfortable and not really give a shit what the rest of the world thinks. Woohoo! I support yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's the best way to live. So, best way to live. Yeah, so, and as far as the poli side, um, 
I've always been that way. And um, I did enter some monogamous relationships and I always found that difficult. I was in a monogamous marriage. I found that difficult, but I kept my vows. Um, but I found that really difficult because I, you know, if I really connect with somebody, then I probably want to sleep with them. And so, um, I may not, but not having the option is problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like I normally have a few relationships ongoing at the moment. I've got one, two, three, four, six in total. And how do you manage all of them? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, so I'm experimenting with um, having local relationships now, (laughs) along (laughs) with my marriage. Um, And and that's a little, you know, that's when everybody's local, it's a little harder to manage because you see people more often. Um, Three of my relationships are are in the U.S. And so the management of that really isn't that difficult um, because it's, you know, I, I, I speak to some of them every day, um, texting for five or 10 minutes. Um, and, you know, you have a, a Skype or a Zoom or something um, every couple of weeks. Um, one, I speak to every couple of weeks via Zoom. We have a couple of hours on Zoom. And if something's going on in your life, you might speak more, but it's this is our routine. Yeah. Um, and uh, one every week. We Zoom every week. Um, and... I see them from three to six times per year mm-hmm. is pretty much what it, what it looks like. Um, and so I manage that. I mean, managing the emotion, the emotional part of it is not an issue. I mean, it's not an issue. It's like, if you have more than one child, you don't worry about, can you love more than one child? So for that's how it is for me. So it's just easy. Um, the local ones has been, is new. I'm, I'm, I've been dating, which is something I've really never done in my life. I, I hate dating. I, you know, I tend to meet people and you connect and you go from there. But this dating thing is really odd. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm dating one person I met in my usual way, which is connecting and kind of, and so that's a little bit less, a, a little bit more understandable to me. The other one I actually met on a dating app and that's, you know, and he's, he's absolutely lovely, but it, it, it's totally bizarre. We got, we've gotten to this stage where um, it's time to take another step. Um, so he asked me, you know, how do you envision this? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't know what the steps look like. I, know, yeah. I, I don't work on, the, on the, the kind of standard mainstream, you know, yeah. elevator stuff right so so what you know we've we've had meals together we've um and we've spent an afternoon together and we haven't gone that far sexually though we've definitely been very clear about our desires and so we know where where we might go mm-hmm. um and so um finally i just i just couldn't stand the whole idea of trying to do this over text or phone so i suggested that we meet up um at mine where i can at my office where i can get a conference room because a restaurant just, you can't talk about some of what we want to talk about. Um, so where we can have privacy and we'll just bring refreshments in and we can just spend the time hashing out what we want yeah. to go yeah. forward um, and negotiating where we're going to go forward. But what, what's important for people to understand about my situation is that it's a timeshare. I don't have agency to negotiate with him on my own, with anyone on my own. 
right? Anybody I get involved with has to be um, approved by my master. Mm -hmm. So how does that logistically work? So, um, so in the, okay, so in the folks in the States, two of the people that I'm involved with predate him by one of them is from the time I was 17. Mm -hmm. So it, it was simply a matter of eventually they'll meet. And they did, and they got along. They'd actually met in passing at some other spiritual events. So they knew of each other. So there was never an issue with that. That was just like, fine. Um, the other one is also an ex of mine. And um, they've spoken. They'll speak more, you know. Um, but local, but total, and, but, but one of the, mm, <laughs> rewind. Rewind. So one of the ones, the couple that I, that I serve are um, Leather family. So again, he knows them. Locally has been people that he's never met, obviously. So it's been one of those situations where we'd have to really, really kind of nail down exactly how we want to do this. And we've had some of this long distance at times as well, but it's much more apparent when you're local because you, it goes faster. Um, so with both of them, when they got in, I was very clear. I'm very clear. I'm very upfront, right? I'm going to meet you and I'm going to see if we have a connection. I'm showing him our correspondence first, right? And then I'm going to yeah. meet you and see if we have a connection because there's no point you talking to him if we have no connection. Yeah, absolutely. No point. But if we have a connection, the next step is you either talk to or meet him depending on where you are in the country. And then we, then he decides whether this goes any further. Mm -hmm. And he's the one who gets that decision. Assuming I'm, I'm game to move forward, right? Yeah. yeah. Like if I were to say, I don't want to move forward, I wouldn't even introduce them. But yeah. assuming I want to move forward, he makes that decision. Mm -hmm. um, and then depending on the person, if they figure out how much, contact they're going to have so with one of the people we're all we're getting together um with this person's partner as well and the four of us are going to go play mm -hmm. so that's one where there was a click and so everybody is talking to everybody um with um this man that i'm dating um they spoke they got along well um now we're i've been given permission to kind of do a bunch of negotiation on my own mm -hmm. um, and i have parameters that I can, I have to stay within. Um, and then the two of them will talk again and, and eventually scheduling is an issue, but eventually they, they'll meet face to face. Um, but he also, master also has the ability to end any relationship at any time. Mm. So although I'll say I'm polyamorous, technically I don't think the term is appropriate in that polyamory assumes agency and I don't have agency. Mm -hmm because he's the one who makes the decisions. Um, and so while I say, oh, yes, he has the ability to end the relationship, which, of course, he does, um, you know, people are like, ooh, oh. he doesn't see any need to end a relationship if I am able to end it, right? If I'm, I'm saying I'm not happy, I'll end it. Mm -hmm. Or um, as long as a relationship is going well, he's not, um, what's the word? He's not trivial about these things. He's not um, contrary about these things, right? His reason for ending a relationship would be it's causing problems for me. Mm -hmm. It's damaging to me and therefore it's damaging to our dynamic. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, 
he lets me get on with it. Um, sometimes he, he, I mean, he enjoys knowing what I'm doing. He's a voyeur. He gets off on the energy. So um, it, it, we have fuck buddies that we play with and people we play with occasionally. And I mean, he loves watching me play with somebody else just because he loves to gather the energy all from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, you know, it, it, he's getting something out of it as well. Um, but sometimes people have difficulty and there are people who won't date me and I'm fine with that because they don't want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. They're like, I want to date you. I, I, I don't want to date him. I'm like, I'm not asking you to date him. I'm not asking you to be involved with him. But if you're going to have a relationship with me, you have to talk to him. However, oddly, for, to some people, for us, it seems quite normal. If they want to have a relationship with him, they need to talk to me. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask next, right, is like, does he have other relationships? Not at the moment. Okay. Has he in the past? And how does that navigate? How, do you, how does that work? He hasn't had anything long term. Um, his, his, his attitude is he's got what he needs and what he wants. And if some, if, if somebody comes into his life, I mean, he will play with other people at events and things like that in our extended family. There are two people I know he would sleep with in a heartbeat and I'm like, yeah, go have fun. Right. We've been in a situation where he's, you know, played with somebody that I wasn't going to play with. And, um, you know, so we enjoy doing a lot of things together. And again, he's, he's a voyeur. So he likes being there for the energy and gathering that energy. It's not a passive voyeur. It's an active voyeur in that case. Um, if he were to meet somebody and, and, and begin a relationship, the first thing is, is they need to meet me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do have veto power. Mm-hmm. Cause I, partly because we've been approached often by um, women who really aren't non-monogamous. And I don't do drama. So I don't need any woman around who thinks she's going to, you know, compete with me or right. Yeah. Like we're not, we're not going there. And this, yeah. the same is I wouldn't date any woman or man who wanted to be in competi- competition with him. Anybody who showed that they were, trying to be in competition would be out the fucking door really quickly. Yeah. We're very secure in our relationship with each other and we don't like drama. So, um, so I do have veto power. I'm also a part of the reason I'm the first line of defense is I'm much better at spotting unstable <laughs> well, and drama. Yes. And based on your career and your choice, it's my job, your job. Right? It's about your job, right? So you, you have that skill set. Absolutely. Yep. And we use it, you know, it's like, okay, no, I'm not having any of this. I can't, I can't go, go there. Um, and, um, but, but a lot of people won't approach cause they don't want to talk to me. It's like, well, I'm not going to be in service to her. So why should I talk to her? It's, it's called common courtesy. That's my wife. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I have the same thing with my primary partner. My primary partner is like, you know, if somebody wants to play with him, I'm, I'm totally cool with that, but we have to have a conversation. I want to make sure that you aren't crazy and unstable and aren't going to cause a whole lot of drama in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's, it's, I think for us, it's, um, I know that um, primary partners are not the idea of primary, secondary, and any kind of hierarchy is not popular in um, consensual non-monogamy right now. Um, 
and I have my comment on that is that while I get that and while I get you can like um, try to make everybody equal, there's a reality when you live with somebody about um, a certain amount of inequality because of the responsibilities you share living with each other. Um, yeah. And, you know, for me, it, even were we not in a power exchange, I mean, it, who am I going to choose to be with if he's, if my husband is ill? Mm-hmm. Right. I have a responsibility to take care of him. That's part of our marriage vows. He has a responsibility to take care of me. So I'm going to have to prioritize that relationship over other relationships. That's even if we didn't have um, a power exchange. And that to me is just common sense about living with someone. And I think people are being disingenuous when they, when, when they, sort of start talking about how everything's egalitarian when they're living with someone, spending their finances with someone, um, maybe raising a child with someone. I mean, they're not equal, right? If you're seeing somebody once a month, it's that relationship is not in priority equal. You may love everybody the same. That's fine. I don't have a, you know, that's a feelings thing. I don't have, but, but in actual practicalities, and the logistics of things and the logistics logistics of things things, and the basics of life. So, so I would call it a primary anyway, but with a hierarchical relationship, it has to be primary because by definition, it's hierarchy, it right? Is. By definition, I've agreed to be in a hierarchy where he has control yeah, or he has authority over me. Yeah. Therefore, yeah. any other relationship has to come after that. Nothing can come at the same place where it kind of makes a mockery of the, the hierarchy to me. And and also my thoughts are, is like, why is there a problem with a hierarchical system? Like what this is, this is part of the the concept is that, I mean, for me, when I use the word poly, I don't usually identify as poly. I identify as ethically non-monogamous, which gives me the freedom to create any kind of relationship with anybody who I, we decide that works within our definition. Right. And I think that, there's nothing wrong with having hierarchy, having somebody that you, you energetically spend more time with. You, you may even emotionally have more feelings for that person. That doesn't mean that the relationship that I might have over here with somebody else that serves different purposes is less important to me, but the amount of energy and the amount of level of connection that I have with them is different. And, and that's well, not I- a bad thing. Well, no, I don't think it's a bad thing either, but I think what's happened is, is that there's a lot of energy spent differentiating what we do from um, heteronormative, patriarchically based, blah, blah, blah. And I get that, but, but it doesn't, I get that and I love the theory and I love, you know, the politics or whatever. Well, sometimes love some of the politics and not others, <laughs> but you know, that's me being transparent and whatever. But the reality is, is that I work with people really pragmatically and we're looking at logistics and brass tacks and day-to-day life. And in day-to-day life, the fact is everybody isn't equal. Yes. And if, unless you are living with more than one person where you, you, Right. You know, if you're in a thruple or a quad and you all live together and you prioritize everything together as a family, then yeah, maybe you can do it that way. But if you're living with somebody and the other person lives, you know, an hour and 20 minutes away, it is not going to be um, equal. Yeah. It's just not. And so I don't see the point in, in us 
talking about things in that way, um, particularly because then people start like you get these really weird upsets. Like you put a picture up with 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 so and so on Facebook, and you didn't put a picture up with me on Facebook. It's like, yes, but that's, you know, there, there that's, is a part of me that wants to say, for fuck's sake, get a life. Yeah, yeah, right. So yeah, well, and that's. And that, but see, this is the beautiful thing that I notice all the time, not just in my world, but also with my clients, is that even in monogamous relationships, that kind of conversations are still happening of the insecurities. I mean, to me, that's, yeah. that's not about the, the dynamics of the relationship. That's about your own internal insecurity of the situation, whether oh, yeah. you identify as equal hierarchy, not hierarchy, sleeping with one person, sleeping with 15 people, it doesn't really matter. Like it really, I think that behavior, that, that reaction is really coming from that internalized, I don't feel important enough and I'm not special enough. And so I'm going to lash out from that place. Well, yeah. But I mean, when you look at that sort of thing, it, it's, um, I'm not sure if, if I'm valued by you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think you value this pe- person more than you value me. And uh, I mean, okay, that comes up, you know, jealousy comes up for people, but envy comes up for people. I always say that for me, um, it's, jealousy isn't the issue. Um, it's envy because I might, if I'm working and if we're at an event and I'm working the event um, and he's off playing, I'm, I, I'm pissed off. You know, I, I, and I mean, I, I handle my, my upset, but I'm well aware where it comes from. It isn't that, you know, he's playing with some woman that doesn't look like me, who's more attractive than I am, or he's playing with a man with a nice ass or whatever, right? That has nothing to do with any of that. It's all to do with you are having fun and I have to work. Yes. It's really that basic. And I'm annoyed. Now, if you compound that by not making time to play with me. Yes then, you know, then there's an extra layer to it, but it still isn't about the other person. No. It's, it's, it's anger at him for not prioritizing, right? So it's, it's got nothing to do with, with the other person. I don't worry about um, him running off with some woman um, or some man or someone who's non-binary or so right I don't worry about that I I don't worry about that and it's not because um I think I'm all that you know I mean I don't have a bad opinion of myself but it's not because I think I'm so wonderful there wouldn't be anybody who could take my place but it's because I have trust and faith in our relationship so there's nothing in the relationship between us, and I'm confident enough in myself to know where my place is. So there's nothing in the relationship between us that would tell me to be concerned. Yep. And I don't have that internal insecurity. Yeah. You know, I may not think that I am the most attractive person in the universe, but I know I am attractive to some people. Mm-hmm. Enough people that I'm quite happy with that, right? Mm-hmm. So... There's nothing to be worried about with stuff like that. But I think, you know, I certainly see a lot of clients where, where there's, a, you know, a ton of insecurity about how they, they measure up against others. But yeah. also insecurity that is specific to the relationship. Yeah. They don't know where they are in the relationship. Is it committed? Is it not committed? Is it, um, 
Is it um, something that is easily torn or broken? You know, they're not, it, and so you get that combined with your own personal insecurity, and that is really very difficult, I think. Yes, and then it becomes very difficult navigating the relationship. And in my, in my experience, it doesn't really matter what style of relationship. It becomes very difficult to navigate the relationship. You know, because I think one of the things that often comes up for me is like, well, like you talked about, you know, aren't you afraid they're going to leave you? Aren't you afraid? You know, these these things come up often or in questions with my clients and also with the way that I live my life. And I'm like, no, I'm never afraid of whatever is going to happen because we have solid conversations and communication and we know where we stand with each other. And at the end of the day, if my partner, whichever one we're talking about, finds somebody that they want to spend and dedicate more time and more energy to, then why would I want to deny them the happiness that they deserve to have? And so there's this, this piece around letting go of the ownership in an unhealthy ownership you know so i use that word because i think there's a huge difference between when we're talking about power exchange and bdsm ownership versus the possessive ownership um, that happens when we are moving in relationships and that place is coming from a lack feeling a lack inside or feeling this emptiness inside and wanting desperately for somebody to fill that void and so that's really fragile like to, to keep maintain that that takes a well, lot yeah, of energy and, right and that's not about and that's about the work that the person needs to be doing for themselves because exactly. because nothing external fills that kind of hole mm -hmm. um and I know I think it's interesting what you're saying because for me, um, it's you know like what if he left you? Well, I would be sad. I mean, you know, let's be real. I'd be very, very sad, um, morose for a while. I think, um, but I pick myself up, dust myself off, and move on. I mean, it's you know the world doesn't end because someone leaves, um, and it's horrible and it's hard and it's can take a lot to process and, and all of that. But I, I'm a whole human inside. And so I'm not needing him to complete me, even though I still occasionally slip and call him my other half. I, it's a bad phrase. You know, I'm, I'm a completely whole human. So for me, it's like that it kind of frees you from having to worry about any of that. Right. Not that you wouldn't react, not that it wouldn't be horrible. Please don't, don't anybody yeah. misconstrue this is to say that I wouldn't be devastated because I, you know, I adore him and we have a fantastic relationship, but I'd be fine. Yeah. And, and that's, that's how it works for me. And that has to do with my own work and the things that I've done for myself in order to feel comfortable and confident and secure in who I am. Yeah. Um, and in, and in that ability to trust that no matter what happens, even if it's the, the phase of it would be devastating and uncomfortable and, you know, hard to deal with, that trust, that internal trust within yourself that you can handle it. Like at the yeah. end of the day, you're not going to spontaneously combust. You're not yeah. going to jump off a bridge. That at the end of it, you can handle it. And I think that's huge. And But to get to that place, I love how you talked about all of that internal work, right? That's an, an internal 
eternal work of looking at your stuff, healing your stuff, releasing your stuff, moving through it, giving yourself the tools, the strength, the, the trust within, the, all of those pieces so that we can move. And when we move in a relationship from that whole place, like I'm a whole complete human being and they're a whole complete human being and we choose to co-create some stuff together. But when that co-creation may end or may not end, I'm still at the end of the day, this whole complete human being. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I get a lot of people who will come in and their focus is on what they need to do with the relationship and how they need to work on the relationship. And, and while they often do need to work on the relationship, frequently what I find is that, that, that people haven't done any of their own personal work. And if you don't do that, you're doomed to continue to repeat the pattern that you're in right now. It's, it's one of those amazing things, right? We, we yes. tend it's kind <laughs> over, of one of those. Over and yep. over. It's, a, it, it's sort of a universal law. I mean, we, we really do tend to repeat patterns until we're able to do the work to deal with whatever underpins the pattern until we're able to recognize the pattern is there and make different choices. And it, that's not something that has to do with the other partner. That has to do with you. Yeah. So really encouraging people to, to do their own work and to understand um, the positives and negatives about themselves. Mm -hmm. And what you contribute to the relationship from that place. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So you and I could talk for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> about many, many, many things. Um, so let's bring this in, close this, this time off. So we'll definitely have you come back on the show and we can have some other juicy conversations, but I want, how can people get more of you? How can people spend more time with you? Okay, so to spend more time with me, you can do a number of things. You can join my Patreon. Look for Lori Beth Busy on Patreon. I haven't done much with it yet, but that is one way to actually get a lot more personal time for a lot less financial investment. Um, you can find me at drlauribethbisbee.com, and um, that's my website. You can sign up for my uh, mailing list there, and I see people individually and in groups in all sorts of different combinations for couples, troubles, polycules, and also, um, so that's one part of the work I do, and I do that via Zoom, um, and uh, if you want to book a 30-minute breakthrough with me, it's bit.ly forward slash the number 30 minutes and then Dr. Capital D-R, Laurie, capital L, capital L and then O-R-I and then um, Beth, capital B and then E-T-H and small. And if you do that, you can book a 30-minute breakthrough session with me. That's probably the easiest way to get things started or just email me and say, I'd like to get together. I'm starting a group, um, an online group in February. So that will be available to people. I've got a couple of events upcoming as well. Um, uh, retreat in May um, and another one in July. That's a five day retreat. Um, I'm, I'm bringing Midori to the UK to teach in April, I've, at the beginning of April, yeah. So anybody who's interested in learning rope from Midori at the beginning of April, there are limited spaces, so you should let me know quickly. Mm -hmm. um, 
And um, I'm going to be in Las Vegas at the end of Jan, um, beginning of Feb for Sin in the City. So if you happen to be there, look out for me and come up and say hello. Beautiful. And all of that, all those links will be in the show notes. So you can easily click <laughs> and find her. Um, so thank you for being on the show. Um, this was so much fantastic. fun. This is so much fun. Um, for everybody to spend more time with me, you can find me on all the social media platforms under Gaia Morissette or Empress Gaia or both. You can find me for all your sexual wellness needs under succulentliving.com and for all your BDSM education and needs, you can find me at Empress empressgaia.com and don't forget to follow um on all your favorite uh, podcasting platforms my orgasmic life until next time have a juicy day bye <laughs> okay hold on here cool let me stop the recording